Well, hello, buddy. Good to see you. My name is Nate. If I haven't met you, I'm so happy that you are here. Hope you had a great week. I had um, one of the most interesting weeks of my life. I had the privilege of going with some missionaries that we work with. They're, they're some of our partners to Arizona, traveling about uh, four hours from Phoenix to the Hopi Reservation, which is a typically a closed reservation. You can't really visit it. And I've had chances to travel different parts of the world, and it was the most fascinating culture I had ever visited. So I went to a village that has been inhabited consistently for somewhere around uh, 1,040 years. It's the longest inhabited settlement in North America. It's just everything about it kind of made me scratch my head. Every now and then you need a good experience to kind of, if this is your box of what you know, what you think about God, what you think about the world, is just one of those, uh-oh, I got a big hole in my box now. I got to figure this out. Great experience. So we're in this series we're calling First, about priorities. We've talked about um, how, do you, how do you put Jesus as first in your life? Last week we talked about living a life of devotion where he's, he's my first priority and, and I live that out on a daily basis. I like to talk about first of the week, first of the week. And so I'm going to talk about church. Well, so one of the really confounding things to Jews in the first century is that people who decided that Jesus really was the promised one switched their day of worship. Okay, so for thousands of years, Hebrew people, Jewish people gathered together on Saturday. Saturday was the Sabbath. It was part of the Ten Commandments. It was this sacred day with all kinds of rules on what you could do and what you couldn't do. Then Jesus resurrected on a Sunday. So the Jewish people who became followers of Jesus said, we're going to move away from Saturday and we're going to move to Sunday so that every day, for them it was the first day of the week, so that every day, every week when we gather together, we celebrate and we commemorate that death has been conquered, that Jesus died for us, rose again, and every week life is new. And so that was a fascinating thing. Now to most of us, we think, well, of course, if you go to church, you usually go to church on a Sunday, but it was radically new. And the traditionalists were like, how can you do this? You're going to move to Sunday. So I know one thing, like when I talk about church, you're going to say, well, Nate, you're preaching to the choir because we're here, right? Right. I get that. But here's some of the things I do know about church. Uh, I know that every day, and I'm not kidding you, every day, I get something in my inbox from some research group, some uh, socio, uh, sociological study group. It says uh, how the crisis in North America and Europe in particular is deepening when it comes to church. Uh, that about 79% of churches in North America have, are either plateaued or declining. I know that near the equator and especially south of the equator, the opposite is happening. The Christian church is expanding exponentially, where entire nations who have traditionally uh, had another focus in terms of worship are now turning to Jesus like never before. But you see Europe, you see North America, and typically you see the steady decline. I hear about the crisis we face. I hear about the things that we're doing wrong. And then every, every week, multiple times a week, I talk to people who have been deeply wounded by the church. Weekly conversation in my life would be someone like this. I, I met Jesus. He transformed my life. 
then something happened in a church and I didn't give up on him, but I gave up on the church. And venturing back to the church is a terrifying experience because of what they experienced previously. I deal with a great, uh, lot of skepticism regarding the church. Um, what is it? Uh, it's filled with hypocrisy, all of this. I, I understand all of it. And I think sometimes it's because we don't understand what the church is really all about. We just kind of miss it. This week, while I was in Hopi, just, just imagine this group of people who their association with the church is incredibly negative, the Christian church. And the conquistadors came. Some sort of mixture of colonialism, Roman Catholicism, and expansionism mixed together. And warfare and conversion went hand in hand. So that's where the wound began. And I sat down with older people who, deep emotion, talked about being rounded up, taken away to uh, American schools, government schools, where they were religiously indoctrinated. So now there's this opposition, right? There's this opposition. I feel it. I was on a plane yesterday flying back. I sit next to this guy. This happens all the time to me. And he, he's uh, from, he's find a, he's from Wyoming, Casper. And he goes, so what do you do? And you guys, it's a really unique thing when you're a pastor because you're trying to read people. Because here's what you get. If you go, oh, I'm a pastor of a church, a lot of times people go, oh. And that is the end of the conversation, right? They're like, no, 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 I can't be sitting next to one of them, right? So I try to read people, and so I have two answers, and it's not a lie. Sometimes I say, oh, I, um, I serve at a nonprofit. And they go, oh, really? It's a way better response than if you say I'm a pastor. A nonprofit, oh, really? What do you guys do? And then I get to talk about everything that you guys do throughout the world. Oh, we have presence in Africa and South America, do all these. And they're just intrigued. They think it's the best thing in the world. And then eventually they say, so what's the name of it? And I'll say, is that a church? Yeah. They'll be like, huh. Because here's what they had. They had this whole preconception on what church is. And they're highly skeptical. But if I can describe the work of the church, they're intrigued. And they think, that's important stuff right there. So... We're going to read two passages of scripture that I think are fundamental. I'm so happy that they're recorded in the New Testament to help us understand what the church is truly about. We're going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and then we'll move to Hebrews chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, here's the setting. So Corinth, it's one of the premier prestigious cities in the Roman Empire during the first century. But it has a long history, way before the Romans. This was one of the core areas where Greek culture thrived. Um, think of the Greeks and their sophistication and poetry and mathematics and history. So there's philosophy and there's deep religion, okay? Now, Corinth is also very multicultural. So over the centuries that the city has existed, people have come from all over the world. So now it's this very pluralistic society. And Paul visits, and he begins to talk to people about Jesus, a city of a few hundred thousand people. And there's this core group of people that when they hear who Jesus is, what he came to do, their lives are transformed, and they say, we're in on that. We're going to surrender our lives to Jesus. 
And then Paul teaches them that one of the things you need to do is you need to come together. They didn't have a New Testament. You couldn't go home and read this book by yourself. So he says one of the things that's going to be very important is that you grow together, that you teach one another. And so imagine they show up to their first church service and they look around the room. And their culture is divided racially. Most of the racial diversity in their city had nothing to do with immigration. It was slavery. So as Corinth prospered in his wealth, they'd go and find people, abduct them, bring them in. They'd serve uh, in all capacities to take care of the more menial tasks in the city. These are people you'd never associate with. So in the room, you're sitting there, and there's someone you know who's a slave, and there's someone you know who's a slave owner. And in the circle, you realize there's somebody who's Jewish. The Jewish person looks around and says, oh my goodness, what am I doing? All of my life, I've been taught that anyone who is non-Jewish, a Gentile, is a pollutant. If I even interact with them and talk with them, I have to take a ceremonial bath afterwards because I've been defiled by someone who's non-Jewish. So you were taught as a Jew, you never ate in the home of a non-Jewish person. You never shared significant conversation with someone who is non-Jewish. You kept it only to business transactions. And even after a business transaction, you had to do a ritual to purify yourself from the pollutant of the non-Jew. So this church is made up of Jewish people and non-Jewish people, people of all different ethnicities, people who are wealthy and people who are poor, and this doesn't happen. You gather with people that are like you, and now you're sitting in this church service, and you're trying to figure out, how in the world do I relate to this group of people? Because the only thing we have in common, there is only one common denominator, is our commitment to following Jesus. That's it. And, and this is a real tension. You read through the whole book, they've got all kinds of challenges. I mean, First and Second Corinthians, it's like the church has gone wild and Paul's trying to corral them and bring them together. But in the middle of First Corinthians chapter 12, he's going to give them a picture. He's going to help them to understand what the church is more than anything else, okay? He's going to give them this analogy. You'll see what it is right away that, that walks through their understanding, helps them, a metaphor that helps them bend their concepts of what they're doing um, into something harmonious. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll read kind of, we'll skip through it, but I'd love for you to go back and read it on your own at another time. You can easily enough see how this kind of thing works by looking no further than your own body. Your body has many parts, limbs, organs, cells, but no matter how many parts you can name, you're still one body. It's exactly the same with Christ. By means of his one spirit, we all said goodbye to our partial and piecemeal lives. We each used to, uh, we each used to independently call our own shots, but then we entered into a large and integrative life in which he has the final say in everything. This is what we proclaimed in word and action when we were baptized. So when Tyler got baptized, it was significant. You, you proclaimed something and you were initiated into a new identity. Each of us is now a part of his resurrection body, refreshed and sustained at one fountain, his spirit, where we all come to drink. The old labels that we used to identify ourselves with, labels like Jew or Greek, slave or free, are no longer useful. 
We've moved beyond that. We need something larger, more comprehensive. I want you to think about how all this makes you more significant and not less. A body isn't just a single part blown up into something huge. It's all the different but similar parts arranged and functioning together. But I also want you to think about how this keeps your significance from getting blown up into self-importance. For no matter how significant you are, it is only because of what you're a part of. An enormous eye or a gigantic hand wouldn't be a body, but a monster. What we have is one body with many parts, each its proper size and in, and in its proper place. No part is important by its own. The way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together as a church. Every part dependent on every other part, the parts we mention and the parts we don't, the parts we see, the parts we don't. If one part hurts, then every part is involved in the hurt and in the healing. If one part flourishes, every other part enters into the exuberance. You are Christ's body. That's who you are. You must never forget this. Only as you accept your part of the body does your part mean anything. Different people, different backgrounds, one common denominator. As Paul is teaching this diverse group of people in Corinth about church, what is he telling us? Very simple statements, but first of all, many parts that make a whole. Many parts that make a whole. Paul understands that church could be confusing. He understands that when people get together, they bring their dysfunction into the room. Anybody notice that? <laughs> they bring their strengths into the room. They bring their biases into the room. And we can get confused. Here's one of the challenges. Churches typically identify themselves by what? This is who we are. It has to do with specific doctrine. Churches write out, these are the things that we believe, and here's the things we don't believe. And we align ourselves by unique beliefs. Now, there are essential core things. You heard me talk about this before. The early church called it the kerygma, the essentials. There are things that are non-negotiable, things about this book, things about the nature of Jesus, things about how you begin a relationship with Jesus, how you sustain a relationship with Jesus that are at the core of everything. But there are a whole lot of other things that aren't as clear from the Bible, the non-essentials. And oftentimes, how we define our churches, we say, well, these non-essentials we hold on to, and these things, these speculative things, are really important to us. And then a church identifies itself by a list, statements of beliefs, sometimes about things that are non-essential. So this is what makes us a church. And Paul says this, are you kidding me? He says, if you want to understand what the church really is, you have to think less systematic, and this is what we are, and we won't budge, and more like a human body. This illustration that they can all grasp, that there are many parts, diversity, but they make one whole. And he goes through the illustration, expounding on it. He says, you can't just be an ear by yourself, or a mouth by yourself, or a pancreas by yourself. And he says, you know how you became a part of this? That moment when you were baptized. You entered into a brand new identity, an identity bigger than your ethnic identity or your cultural identity. He says the old labels that used to define us, we say, well, I'm a Jew, I'm a non-Jew, I'm a slave person, I'm a free person. He goes, we're now beyond that 
into something much more comprehensive and something much more beautiful. Your identity now is what? I'm a son, I'm a daughter of God. He says, you are now identified as part of Jesus' resurrected body. And he introduces this mind-bending concept, that the body of Jesus. That Jesus is still here on planet Earth, and his resurrected body is no longer just one man, but it's the church. He says, you're the body of Jesus to a world that is confused and cynical and lost and deceived. This is your new identity. So you no longer need to identify yourself by, hey, I'm, a, I'm an Anglo, I'm black, I'm native. You don't need to long identify yourself by what you do or your, your cultural traditions. This is something bigger and more beautiful has happened. This is a, a thousand piece jigsaw puzzle. I've never completed a jigsaw puzzle in my life. Maybe I've given like 20 minutes and I get discouraged. Okay, I'm easily discouraged. If I took one piece, okay, and I'm gonna, sh- I'm gonna show this to you, okay? I want you to tell me what the puzzle is by identifying that one piece. You can't? No. Oh, that's too bad. What color is it? Green. Green, okay. We gotta start. So it's probably grass or I think a green unicorn, right? Here's what Paul's saying. The many parts make the whole. One piece by itself is nothing. It's in isolation. This is your human body. You may have the skills and abilities and you may be something profound. Maybe you're a mouthpiece. Maybe you're an eye. How many people, if you think of us being a human body, Anybody in the room feel like, well, I must be like the pancreas or the callus on the bottom of the foot, right? We feel insignificant. But here's what Paul says. It doesn't matter what your role is. If you're not connected to the greater whole, you're just in absolute isolation. You cannot reflect who Jesus is to this world if you're just singular. It's not just about me. It's about we. Ladies and gentlemen, we live in one of the more challenging cultures to understand this. We, we are as individualistic as they come, as North Americans, as Montanans. She's like, no, we can do this. I can do this. I can achieve. Paul's saying, listen, it's not just about me. It's about we. The only way that we make up the picture of who Jesus is to the world, we can really be his body, is when we understand that it's many parts that make the whole. Here's the second point. Our individual significance is found in the whole, right? It's only when these pieces come together and match that I realize, oh, here's my part. I remember on vacation, we took a, my, my family, there's five kids in the family, and we always meet together somewhere and try to take a camping trip. It was one of those, like, it rained for four days straight. So the cousins were all on a picnic table with a tarp over their heads. We're building a puzzle. And it came to the end of the puzzle, and they were missing one piece. <laughs> one piece. And it drove them crazy. Everybody's in the dirt trying to find the one piece. You can totally tell what the picture is, right? 
But if there's one piece missing, it just feels wrong. It just feels, and it was like this desperate search for the one piece that was missing. That one piece was important because it's a part of the puzzle. It's a part of the body. So Paul actually wants people in Corinth to think this way. When you walk into the room, rather than feeling insecure because these people aren't like me, I have nothing in common with them, walk into the room and say, you know what? I'm an important part of this place. Without me, there's a piece missing. You need me and I need you. It's this beautiful thing of interdependency. He says, I know some parts of the body are really obvious and you, you like, we celebrate those. And there's some parts of the body that are hidden away. Everybody in the room ever felt like a tonsil in the body of Jesus? Like, just take me out and everybody gets healthier. Nobody even knows why it's there. You need the last 12 inches of your lower intestines. They're not pretty, but it's not pretty if you're gone, right? He says, everybody is a part of this. And my significance is found in the whole. It doesn't diminish my importance. It actually amplifies my importance. And then he moves into this idea. He says, I I want you to appreciate the variety. I want you to appreciate the variety because when they walk in the room, it's so much easier. It, It is so much easier if I sit down with people who share things in common with me. Conversation flows. Oh, yeah, we'll talk about this together. We're in the same industry, right? You just, you just know how to talk to certain people. He goes, but you're going to walk in the room with people who are absolutely different from you. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to appreciate the variety in the room. Look around at people who drive you nuts and go, you're part of my body. I am so happy that you were here. I need you and all your quirks and dysfunction. But somehow you reflect Jesus in a unique way. I've seen, you guys, I grew up in the church 40 years, okay? I've seen so many weird things in the church. Like, I could talk to you for an hour and we would like be dying laughing about just the bizarre behavior and the weirdness. And I have a choice. I can either become judgmental or cynical about that, or I can just go, you're like my crazy Uncle Ed. Like, I don't get you, but I'm so happy you're here. Because family dinners aren't the same without crazy Uncle Ed. He's just going to say something bizarre and inappropriate and make everybody laugh. So let's talk about this variety. Let's talk about this variety at a, at a large level, okay? Big C Church. I remember it was about 19 years ago, my first visit to Billings. And I was looking for Faith Chapel. I was going to speak at a camp and meeting people here. And I was driving through this whole West End. And I was a little bit lost. So I made a big loop. And here's what I, I couldn't help but think. There are so many churches out here on the West End. Anybody else remember that? You pass by, well, that church and that church and... What in the world is going on? And you can't help wonder, have you ever driven through town and you realize like, here's first such and such church and then a block away is second such and such church? And you're like, mm, something happened, right? This group said, mm we don't like you anymore. We're going across the street. We're going to be the second church. Let's talk about denominations for a second. 
there is just way too much tension out there, right? Here's something I've committed to, I've committed to, is I am never, if there is, if there is a group of people and they meet and they hold on to those core things about who Jesus is and what's true, but then the stuff out here, they're just nutty. I refuse to ever criticize another Jesus-centered church. I just won't do it. I won't do it. Because you know one of the things that the Bible says about the church? It says that we're the bride of Christ. I'm a super nice guy. But you come up to me and you criticize my wife in front of me and see how I respond. Right? I'm not going to respond to Jesus' bride. I'm not going to be negative to Jesus' bride. There is not a chance. It's his. So what are we going to do? I love in Mark chapter 9. Jesus is walking. His disciples are watching someone else. They don't even know who they are, but they're doing the work of Jesus. And the disciples go, hey, Jesus, we're going to go stop these people because they're not part of us. They weren't trained like us. They operate differently than us. And what does Jesus do? He says, listen, guys, let them alone. If they're not against us, they're for us. We're on the same team. Unfortunately, many ways that denominations were started was like this. Here we are, okay? We're all part of the same team. And one group said, oh, we do not like the music there. Let's go be our own puzzle over here. Somebody else said, oh, I don't like that pastor. I don't like the things. He says, we're going to go across the street and start there. And then this group said, we need to be more involved in politics. Let's go over here and start our own thing. And then this group said, you know what? We need more potlucks. Let's go over here. They don't do enough potlucks. And this group said, <laughs> right? So you have these piles of people. And you put these puzzle pieces together. What's the picture going to be? Chances of any of these things fitting together and reflecting anything that looks like Jesus? They're not good. So the churches around us that are centered on Jesus, they're not competition. We're on the same team. They have different nuances and different styles. We just go, do what you're called to do. Then there's variety here in the room, not just at this big church level, but at the local church level. The, the, the longer I do this, the more I realize there are some things that I am absolutely terrible at. I used to think I could, if I worked hard enough, I could do certain things. You know something I'm terrible at? It, like, it's marriage counseling. I'm the worst. Like, I am warning you right now, if you have marriage problems, do not come to me. <laughs> Don't. We have all these other, like, nice, loving people on staff I, like, I usually make the guy cry. I just jump on him. I'm like, you need to repent. You've been an idiot for 10 years. You expect me to fix it right now? Like, you got to, you know. And he's like, oh, I, I came for mercy. I'm like, I got no mercy for you. Like, I got truth for you. I, we've got a small group, and if somebody's, like, sick, the last person they want to provide a meal is me. Like, here's your dominoes. Hope you feel better, right? Like, there's just, we all have these things that we're terrible at. And part of the beauty of the church, what he says is appreciate the variety because you have different people with different skill sets. And you guys can reflect Jesus appropriately if you come together. I want to move on and just read one more scripture, make a few comments on that. So keep that image in your mind, right? 
Church isn't people who gather necessarily around a specific doctrine, but it's an organic group of people. Each person has their part. And together, they create a picture to the world of who Jesus is. Hebrews chapter 10. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward two things. Okay, spur literally is it's translated sometimes urge or prod, but literally is the word used for spurs when you're getting a horse to move. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some in their habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day. He's talking about this day, this culmination of all things, as you see the day approaching. Read that. It's written to a group of people who are Hebrew. They're outside of Jerusalem. They're a little lonely, a little isolated. First thing he says is, don't, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Pastors love this verse, right? You need to come every week because Hebrew says that. Don't give up. I read it and I'm like, man, I love it. Paul was a great pastor and he had problems with church attendance. Makes me feel better, right? So he says, there's something really beautiful. There's something harmonious about coming together. And, and I know that sometimes it's inconvenient. I know that there's a soccer tournament in Casper. I know that there's a rodeo or a stock show somewhere else. He goes, but just find a way to keep doing this. Why? Okay, so this isn't, this scripture is not all about church attendance. He says, because here's what happens when you gather together. You spur, and notice, one another on toward love and good deeds, and you encourage each other. Those are the verbs. Spurring and encouraging. And you're moving towards love and good deeds. I love that at the inception of the church, Paul didn't say, Go to church so that you can be blessed during worship and so that the pastors can give you a good word and you're fed. Paul in speaking to these people in Hebrews chapter 10 says, he doesn't, he doesn't present some like consumeristic perspective where he says, you need to go to church so that you're fed and you're, 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 like your appetites for spirituality are met and then you can go get through the week. He says, no, no, this is a participation sport. He says, here's what happens when you come to church. You're spurred on by each other, not the pastor, by each other towards love and good deeds. You're encouraged as you see the day, the final days drawing near. So here's what I really believe. I, I hope that during worship, I hope that during my time teaching, there is, there's nourishment that is happening. You're fed, we're inspired collectively. But I believe, I believe that the most significant things that can take place in any gathering, that's your small group, that's a youth group, that's a, a group of guys sitting down at coffee, a group of ladies sitting somewhere, is this, is that we spur each other on. There's just these little moments of encouragement towards love and good deeds. The spurring doesn't come from me all the time. I know this. Some of us, we grew up in churches and we were overspurred, right? Through guilt and manipulation, like just get going, do more. And it made our sides sore. You, you're not going to kill a horse through spurring it, but you're going to break its spirit. So this isn't about like, go people, get going, you know, like do more, try harder. That's not what this is about. He says, when you get together, 
you just look for somebody in the room. You listen to people in your small group and you realize they're hurting right there. I just want to come alongside them and encourage them. I want to give them a nudge. I want to tell them that God still loves them. I want to tell them I'm praying for them in the midst of their crisis. And you'll move that person towards love and good deeds. When I walk into the room, I want to be open. God, who do you want to use in this room? This is your body. These these are my people. Who do you want to use to, to nudge me, to spur me? towards love and good deeds. So, so here's the best church service I think I could ever imagine. Here's the best small group. Is that you walk into a room with people and I'm not there just to receive. I'm there to say, hey, I'm gonna listen, I'm gonna worship, but I can't wait to see what somebody's gonna say to me in the atrium. I can't wait to look at someone and just know I am supposed to pray for them. I see something on their face that they're overwhelmed that church isn't about me receiving. Church is about I come and there's, there's interactions with people that are incredibly significant spiritually. Spur one another on. Believe in each other. Encourage one another. Move towards love and good deeds. Let me give you an example. So this week, as I mentioned, I was down uh, in Arizona at Hopi Reservation. And I went with our missionaries, Yasamoni Candle. I'm kind of a a get-it-done guy, right? But this was all about relationships. It's a matriarchal society. Women are in charge of everything. Uh, Men can't own anything in Hopi except for the clothes on your back. You can't own a business. You can't own a home. It's just a fascinating society. So what's the key to reaching people, building relationship? It's sitting with the women elders. And so for four days, I just sat and drank this tea with old ladies it was made out of a weed that they cut in the spring. It tastes terrible. <laughs> terrible. And you just listen. You listen and you love and you build relationships. And I watched Yaza Monique, and they never said a word to me about this. But I was spurred to love more deeply. To listen. Just watching them. They, they challenged me. I came back and actually I made a list on the plane of things I want to do different in relationships simply by watching what they did. That is the best growth imaginable. They didn't preach a sermon at me. They didn't give me five points on how to love people better. They just spurred me on through their actions. Let's be spurred on. So the people in front of you, people behind you, to your right, to your left, what if I just begin to think, I need you, and you need me? Because together, we make up this picture of who Jesus is. We're, We're the body of Jesus on earth, and I refuse. I refuse to be one piece of the puzzle functioning on my own. But instead, I want to have interdependent relationships that help me grow and help make this world a better place. Will you pray with me? Jesus, church can be terribly confusing. It can be hurtful at times. Help us to see what this is truly all about.
Paul says, when you think about the church, you don't think about your list of doctrine. Think about the fact that you are like a body and everyone belongs and everyone is needed. And there can be variety. And the one thing we have in common is Jesus and that's enough. That is a large enough common denominator. It can lead us into beautiful relationships. A healthy reflection of who you are. Lord, when we gather together, I get it, we live in a consumeristic culture. But the church was never meant to be a consumeristic place. Would we spur one another on? Would we be the recipients? Would we be the initiators where love and good deeds would happen, where the most beautiful spiritual growth happen as we look one another in the eye and choose to love and choose to believe in and choose to forgive one another. Lord, would you make this church a healthy reflection of who you are? In your name we pray this. Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks to everybody for exploring that. Just beautiful, beautiful section of scripture. Hey, if uh, you're trying to figure out who Jesus is, I'd love for you to head to one of these I Have Decided banners. I just want to get a Bible in your hand. Everybody else, be the hands and feet and mouthpiece of Jesus. Be the church. If you need prayer for anything, there's people up front you can trust.